as they continue to play. I just want us to pray together. Would you bow with me? Wow. God, I love that song. Because, Lord, it's just true. God, you're the champion of heaven. And, God, you are for us. You are not against us. God, everything that the enemy would set against us, God, you are for us. And, Father, I say in the name of Jesus in this place today that, God, you would bring a new freedom to us as we worship you for who you are. God, I thank you. God, I thank you that everything that the enemy can bring against us, it only serves to remind us that, God, you are for us, that, God, you are not against us. And, Lord, we celebrate that today. We praise you for that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. If you have a, uh, if you have a Bible today, I'd ask you to turn it to the book of Judges chapter 6. And I want to tell you a quick story as you're turning there. Uh, about 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago this summer, uh, I was serving as a student pastor in Arkansas, and uh, I took a group of high school students and a group of college students on a mission trip to Mexico. And uh, we were so excited. We knew we were going down there. We were going to be planting churches. We were going to be uh, landing in Torreon, Mexico, and then traveling about four hours down to Zacatecas City, Mexico, working with church planners, helping people in need, sharing the gospel. It was going to be really, really awesome. And uh, so our team prepared, we got ready, uh, we flew in, uh, left in the afternoon, flew in and landed in Torreon, Mexico. And as we got there, we had two white uh, vans that we had rented for our team. And so there were like 10 of us in one van and 10 in the other van. And so myself was a driver. And then we had a guy who was about to be a senior in college uh, named David, uh, who was a summer intern for us. And he was one of our other drivers. And so we got in the vans and we took off and, you know, we landed probably around, I don't know, seven, eight o'clock at night. And uh, we drive through the city of Torreon, Mexico, and we did everything that you should do when you go to Mexico. We stopped at McDonald's, right? And uh, got the whole crew out. We sat there. We had dinner together. We talked. And uh, it was getting kind of late, around 9, 30, 10 o'clock. And so we decided, okay, let's get back in the vans. Let's get to our hotel, get settled. Tomorrow morning, we will get up and head down to Zacatecas City. Because it was like a five-hour drive on Mexican highways, which is a challenge in and of itself, Right. And uh, so we get in the vans, and we begin to pull away from the McDonald's, and I notice that David kind of turns down a street that I didn't turn down, and when you're in Mexico at 10 o'clock at night, you don't want to turn down any streets you shouldn't turn down. And uh, he turned down this street, and about three minutes later, he calls my cell phone, and he said, uh, he said hey, Sean, uh, we got a problem. And I was like, okay, well, what just happened? He said, I was driving the van down the road, and uh, I came across this intersection. I looked to make sure it was all cleared, and I got T-boned by a Volkswagen bug. And I thought, wow, this is going to be interesting. And uh, I called the guy who was with us. He was a, an interpreter for our team. He had come from our church, and so he kind of knew how to speak Spanish, and it really helped us a whole lot. But by the time I got to the accident scene, everyone was fine in the van. In fact, you know how students are. They're like, hey, cool, we're stuck in Mexico, and we just got T-boned. And uh, they're stuck out in the middle of this intersection with this, uh, this, Vol- this white, I'll never forget, it was a white 15-passenger van and a white Volkswagen, and it just hit the side of our van. And by the time I got to the scene, all of the people from the neighborhood started figuring out that something cool had happened, right? So a lack of entertainment draws interest. So people are coming out of their homes and surrounding the vans, and they're speaking, and none of us understand what's going on. They're pointing fingers, and, you know, you do this, you do that, and we're like, what's going on? And then about five minutes later, the TV crew shows up. 
Yeah. And obviously it was a slow news night because when they showed up on the scene, they had cameras and they turned on these lights and they're trying to interview David, who's like our summer intern, about to be senior in college. And he's like, I'm from Oklahoma. I don't know what's going on. Okay. And it was just a bad place to find yourself. Okay. So here's the thing. In Mexico, things work a little bit differently. Because at that point, I was like, hey, no problem. We'll just exchange insurance information. We'll get going. Well, that's not how it works in Mexico at 10 o'clock at night. They said, we need you to come down to the police station. And so I'll never forget, I got all the students back in my van. Our interpreter, he drove the other van, and he got us down to the police station. David went in the police vehicle. And when they got him down to the police station, I remember walking in, and I thought, this is a pretty sad scene, to walk into the Mexican police station And you walk into the police station and you see your summer intern in the back room being interrogated by Mexican police. And at that point, I went, wow, we have found ourselves in a really, really bad place here. So our interpreter gets out. He starts talking to the guys. He knew some of the guys from Torreon. And and he said, now, he had broken English. He said, now, Sean, this could take a while because they're going to want to ask him every question. And then at the end, they're going to want some money to get him out of jail. And I went, wait a minute, so like the summer intern's like in jail now at this time? And I'm freaking out, and he says, here's what you need to do. We need to get another van, because as soon as we get him out, we need to get in our vans, get at our hotel in this night. You know, by this time, it's around 11, 11 12 o'clock at night. So he says, here's what you need to do. Go with these two police officials, get in their pickup truck, you sit in the middle, and they're going to take you to a location, and you're going to pick up another rental van from a guy that they're going to wake up at 12 midnight. Okay, as the leader of this crew, I had all of the money for the mission trip on my body. So I probably have about 2,000 American dollars planted all over my body. I get in a pickup truck with two Mexican police officials, and I'm sitting on the hump in the middle of the gear shift, and they're talking. I have no idea what they're saying, and here's my one thought. I hope when they find my body (laughs) that they realize I gave it all for the kingdom, I had found myself in a really bad place. It's like 12, 1230 at night. We pulled up to this guy's house, knocked on his door. They said a bunch of words to him. He pointed over this way. We went and got a white van out of his garage, which is kind of crazy. And we drive it back. A couple hours later, we get David, the summer intern, out of jail. Hey, it was a great summer for him. And uh, getting back in his van, in the van that he needed to drive, we get to the hotel at 3.30 a.m. Guys, Listen. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time (laughs) and was having a bad moment. Have you ever been to the wrong place at the wrong time? Judges chapter 6 tells us a story of how God's people went to this place called Midian. And it was one of those moments where things had gone from bad to worse because Midian was a place, as we talk about today, is a place that we need to look at because it's a place where God wants to break a curse in our life. You see, Midian is found in the Northwest Arabian Peninsula. It's named after the fourth son of Abraham. What had happened is Abraham decided he couldn't wait on God's promise in his life. So he got ahead of God and he said, hey, instead of choosing the calling of God on my life, I want to choose my own personal comfort. So he left his wife Sarah and he went and slept with a concubine and had a child and named the child Midian. And from the time that Midian was born until this moment in Judges 6, the Midianite people had been like a thorn in the side of the Israelite people. They had literally kind of ruined a lot of things for them. It was kind of like an oppressive people who were constantly against them. 
This place is also significant, Midian significant, because it's where Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, which I find kind of ironic. But it's also the place where Moses spent 40 years after he fled Egypt, after he killed an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew slave. So this place of Midian that we look at today is representative more than just a geographical location. You see, last week we talked about Egypt. Egypt was a place of slavery, and I love what Ian said. God set us free from our Egypt to live free. But if Egypt represents our slavery, Midian represents the curse that's against us. And I don't know about you in my life, there have been places and there have been times where I got to a moment in my life, I just felt like everything was pressing against me. There was little breakthrough, there was little freedom, there were little things in my life that I feel like I had victory over, I felt kind of taken captive by a lot of things. Have you ever felt that way before? You ever felt like you just can't break through to God's promises, you can't really see God's victory, and so you live in a constant place of battle, almost like there's a curse against you. I mean, I see this in people's lives as a pastor. I know that one of the things people struggle with is people are paralyzed by their past. They say, well, this happened to me when I was seven or when I was 12 or when I was 24, and I've never really moved on from it, and so I just live kind of paralyzed emotionally and spiritually in my life. I've also seen it as a pastor because people live with a fear of failure in the future. They're afraid of failing. And so there's like this oppression against them because they know God probably wants something great for their life, but they never step out. They never take a hold of it because they're afraid of failure. I did some study this week. Do you realize that 40% of everything you try in life you fail at? 40%. So let me give you perspective of that real quick. If you're a major league baseball player and you hit the ball four out of ten times, you are a multi-millionaire. People live in fear of failure regarding their future. But also, people live for man's approval and they fear man instead of God's glory and fearing God. And so people in a, their lives seem to be in the curse of these three things over and over again. It's kind of like a cycle. And that's really where God's people had gotten. In Judges chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, look at what the Bible says. It says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. So they had walked away from God, and God said, Hey, if you want to live in this curse, because they've been with you since Abraham, I'm going to let you live in the curse. Verse 2, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel. Neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They didn't even leave a good donkey for them. They came up with their livestock and their tents Like swarms of locusts, it was impossible to count them on their camels, and they invaded the land to ravage it, and Midian was so impoverished, or they so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. You see what had happened? There was this moment where this guy named Abraham made a decision to choose comfort over calling, and suddenly there seemed to be like this curse against them. 
And here we are in present day Judges 6, and the people, oh, the people are hunkered down spiritually. They've hidden in caves. They're in clefts and rocks. They're, they're hiding behind. They don't want to be seen. I mean, they were just these pesky people, the Midianites. But they felt oppressed by them. I mean, I see people every week like this in my life. People who don't seem to be able to break free, and they just kind of hunker down. They never seem to bust out. They're paralyzed, and they're broken, and they remain that way. But I want to tell you today, God doesn't want you to remain that way. God doesn't want me to remain that way. God wants to break the curse of anything that was held against us and bring us to a place in our life where every single day we have the victory that can only come from him. So I want to talk about some of those things today. If you have a pen, you might want to write this down, how to break the curse of Midian in my life. Number one, I must believe God's report about my life. Look at verse 11. We know that when they cried out to the Lord, God sent them a prophet, and then suddenly God raises up this guy named Gideon. Look at verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash, the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So he was just trying to, you know, hold on, just trying to make it happen. And look at verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. He looks at Gideon and he says, Gideon, here's what's true. Not your circumstances, not everything that comes against you, not all the struggles you're having and everything. What's true about you is what God says about you. And you know, we've heard this phrase, we've heard it years and years ago where people say this, that Satan knows our name, but he calls us by our sin. And God knows our sin and he calls us by our name. And this was one of those moments where he could have looked at him and said, hey, little failure sitting here threshing wheat. But he didn't. He looked at him and he called him for who he was. He was a mighty warrior. Listen, you want to break the curse of Midian in your life? You need to start listening to God's report about your life. What God says about you is true. Not what your past says about you. Not what your fear of tomorrow says about you. Not what your pocketbook says about you. Not what your job description says about you. What's true about you is God's report about you. And the curse begins to be broken in our lives when we hear the Lord say to us, this is who you are. The Lord looked at him, and in the midst of all the failure of the people of Israel, he said, you are a mighty warrior. It's kind of like this. We listen to so much of man's opinion sometimes, we, our minds get clouded by it. I mean, I, I love the moment in college football or pro football where I'm watching a game and all of a sudden there's a, there's a pass or there's a, there's a fumble or something and because I have a clear enough television, I can see the truth about that scenario and I can look at it and say, no, he fumbled the ball or no, he scored or no, he caught the pass. But what does the referee do? He makes the wrong call. But because of instant replay, amen. We are vilified, right? Because of instant replay. We, we wait for them to roll the tape back 
and the truth is revealed. And I love the moment when they come on and they say, after further review, the ruling on the field has been overturned. Can I tell you that's true about your life? Some of you feel like you can't ever win, that you're not worth it, that God doesn't care, that, that nothing you do is ever right. And God looks through the hood of the instant replay and says, after further review, you are a mighty warrior. You better believe God's report about your life because what God says is true. Number two, you gotta move past your comfort and you gotta move into God's calling. Gideon didn't ask for it, but he did get the opportunity to respond to it. Verse 14 says, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Don't you love it when God asks you a question? <laughs> I mean, how do you answer God when God asks you a question, right? I mean, what do you say back to him? What can you say? God looked at him and said, Gideon, not only do I have a different report about your life, but I want you to move out of your personal comfort and your personal fear, and I want you to move into the calling that I have for your life. Listen, every one of you in this room, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God has a calling on your life. God has an incredible, wild, amazing plan for your life. You say, well, I don't feel like it. Because I live from paycheck to paycheck, and I live from relationship to relationship, and I live from heartache to heartache. It's because you're living for your personal comfort, and God says you need to move past your personal comfort, and you need to begin to embrace the call that God has on your life. God has a destiny for you. And he wants you to attempt something great for him. I always go back to that moment where Christopher Columbus probably walked into those men and said, man, I need some ships because there's this land over here that nobody has discovered. And they looked at him and said, listen, we don't know what you've been smoking, but it's the wrong stuff. Like that part of the map doesn't exist. And Christopher Columbus, I love what he did. He just sailed off the map. Sometimes in your life, you just need to sail off the map. Because God is with you. He says, am I not sending you, Gideon? Oh. Number three, we need to deal with our excuses and walk in God's presence. Verse 15 says this. This is Gideon's response. How do you respond when God asks you a question? He says, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alone. You know, when I read that verse, here's the thought I have. There is a big difference in life between I can't and I won't. There's a big difference. Because in this moment when he says, God, here's why I can't do what you're calling me to do. Here's my excuse, God. Here, you don't understand, God, my, my, my lineage of my family is really bad. Like, people in my family have done stupid things. Like, my family tree is crooked, straight, then crooked again, and then way too straight and way too crooked. You ever feel that way? I remember going to family reunions growing up because we, we weren't in a home where we were raised in church, and so I would go to family reunions and I would be like, 
oh, this is my family. Ooh, how many of y'all got a family like that? Yeah, yeah, you got a family where it's like, wow, that, this is my lineage. And God, you want to do something in my life? Are you kidding me, God? But here's the thing. God wants to deal with your excuse. And he wants you to walk in his presence. The Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Here's what that tells me. God doesn't always call the equipped, but he always equips the called. If God has called you to do something great, he will equip you to do it, and you can trust him for it. Let me tell you the next step I believe it takes for us to break this curse. We've got to put our focus or put your focus in the right place. Put your focus in the right place. Verse 24, we read on down in the scripture. It says, so Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it the Lord is peace. In the midst of all of his circumstance, God calls him out and says, I want you to go do this. And he begins to, to summarize all that he's about to do. And what does he do? He goes and he builds an altar to the Lord, and he says, Lord, you are my peace. He puts his focus in the right place. About seven years ago, I bought a cycle and started cycling. And uh, the first thing I had to do was learn how to clip my feet into those pedals so when I falled over, I would look cool. And uh, so I did, and I, I, I went out, and I had a friend who was kind of mentoring me for a little while as a cyclist. And I said, I want you to teach me everything I need to know about cycling, because some of this I have no idea. And so we were about 10, 13 miles into a ride one day, and uh, he says to me, Sean, you're going to descend this hill, and you're going to get going really fast, but the only way you're going to keep from wrecking is you need to understand wherever you put your eyes is where the bike will go. And so I'm descending this hill. We're going at about 27 to 30 miles an hour down this hill. I mean, I'm just flying. I mean, my salvation's secure, you know, just going down that hill, got one inch of tire between me and Jesus. And as I'm going down that hill, I remembered what he said, wherever your eye goes, that's where the bike will go. And I saw the curve up ahead of me that was very important for me to hit, to, to know was there and to take was there. And I began taking my eye off the wheel and I put my eye on the curve and my bike followed. You know, the same is true in your life and mine. Where you put your gaze will always determine the direction of your life. Where you put your gaze will determine your direction. Now, when I was growing up, I used to get up on, on Saturday mornings, and I would open up the comic section of the paper, and they would have one of my favorite cartoons. It was called Peanuts. Some of y'all know that as Charlie Brown, all right? Now, I love Charlie Brown. I think one of the most profound leadership traits in life I learned from watching Charlie Brown. And here it is. You have to get rid of the Lucy's in your life. Because where you put your gaze will determine the direction of your life. Every single time, Charlie Brown would walk up to that football and she would talk him into it. She would entice him into it. Hey, come up here and kick this football because if you do this time, I'm going to hold it. And he walks up there to kick the football and he falls flat on his tail. Why? Because he put his eyes on Lucy. Listen, some of you, you need to get rid of the Lucy's in your life. And you need to put your focus in the right place. Because where you put your gaze will determine the direction of your life. Let me tell you the next principle. Remove the idols and seek radical obedience. 
Verse 25 of Judges 6. Listen to what he did. It says, That same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down, the fa- tear down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord, your God, on top of this height. Using the wood from the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. Part of you breaking free from the things that oppress you in your life is for you and I to get rid of the idols we have in our lives. Some of us, our idols are our kids. I mean, we worship our kids sometimes. Man, I I want my kid to do this. I I want my daughter to do that. And God says, no, 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 no. Don't put them before me. You need to put things in the proper place. Part of breaking the curse, the oppression that stands against us is to remove anything that stands in our way of Jesus. So what did Jesus say about idols in our life? The book of Luke, chapter 12, verse 51, Jesus made this statement. He said, do not think I've come to bring peace on earth. No, I tell you, but division. In some translations of the Bible, it says, do not think that I've come to bring peace on earth, but I've come to bring a sword. I remember the first time, I, first time I read that, I went, Jesus came to bring a sword? He sounds angry. Until I studied the passage, and then I realized what he was saying. I've come to bring anything and everything in your life that will cut away the idols to where you will fully trust me. And that's true in our life, too. Jesus came to free us of our idols. And I've found this to be true. Many times God will often cut us down or tear us down to rebuild us the right way. Why? Because God cares more about our holiness before him than he does our happiness in the now. I know about you as a parent, I'm the same way. I will make any decision on behalf of my child that I know will keep them from wrecking their future. God's the same way. We gotta remove the idols and seek radical obedience. So here's the deal. If you've not heard anything else I said, I want you to hear this one. This is our last point today. You need to begin to factor God into the equation of your life. There were all these things that the Lord led Gideon to do, but then in Judges chapter 7, beginning with verse 2, look what the Bible says. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands. Or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 men remained. 32,000 men, Gideon looks at him and says, hey, if any of you guys are afraid, you should probably go. All right. 22,000 walk away. Now I want you to understand Gideon would not have been invited to next year's leadership conference. Nobody would put him on the cover of Forbes and says, this here is a great leader. (laughs) The world wouldn't say, I can't wait till he writes a book. Most of our culture would look at him and say, failure. God didn't. God knew. Gideon, if I'm going to win this battle then you got to trust me. And here's why. 
you have a pen, write this down. God must often prune us before he will promote us. It's true in life. God sometimes has to prune back our motives, prune out all the idols, prune out all of the naysayers to get us to a place where he can fully promote us. Let me tell you what else I've learned. God must deal with our self-reliance before he'll bring breakthrough. As long as I'm trusting in my strategy and my idea and my thought process and, man, I can, I can figure this one out, God. If, if, if you'll just stand here and be cool, I'll figure this one out. <laughs> and God's going, no, 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 no. You don't understand. You're going to win through subtraction, not through addition, Gideon. So what does he do? Look at verse 4. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water. And I will thin them out for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he will go with you. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go with you. Verse 5, so Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank with cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got on their knees to drink. You see what God was saying to him? He said, not only are you going to win through subtraction because you've got to factor me into the equation, but here's what he said. You've got to get rid of anyone who's in this for themselves. So he said, I want you to take 10,000 down there. <laughs> and I love it. It doesn't mention this verse because he would have gotten depressed if he did. And he said, and 9,700 are not going to pass the test. But the 300 that go down... And don't just think about what they get out of the water, but they think about the nation that's around them and who might attack them. Those are the ones you're going to win with. You know, that brings up a great point in life. If you're going to break the curse of Midian against you, you better know the difference between takers and givers in your life. I was reading an article this week. I don't know how I came across it, but there's an author by the name of Donald Miller. And he says this. He says, there's three ways you can know if someone's a taker or a giver in your life. And you've got to deal with the takers. He says, number one, you always feel kind of guilty around them, but on paper you can't quite figure out how you've hurt them. First sign of a taker. Number two, they've been in a long line of short relationships. And number three, They hurt people and do bad things, but it's always someone else's fault. You got to deal with the takers in your life if you're going to break the curse. Gideon had this moment where he could have said, Lord, can you leave another 3,000? Because I would feel safer if we had 3,000. But 300? Come on, God. Really? Really? And God was going, no, you don't understand. You only want the ones who are willing to fight with you, Gideon. Verse 7, The Lord said to Gideon with 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go home. Wow. There's three things I think we need to carry from this talk today. Number one, God does not want us to live under a curse. I want you to hear that today. God does not want you and I to live under a curse, but he will allow you to live under one if you choose to. Did you hear that? 
God doesn't want you to live under a curse, but he will allow you to live under one if you choose to. Number two, the more we obey the Lord, the more freedom we will enjoy in life. The more Gideon trusted God, the more God broke through the curse and brought victory after victory after victory. Read the, worst, read, read the, uh, the, the second part of chapter 7. You look at how bad they beat the Midianites. I mean, it was a wipeout. Mm. And number three, are you willing to let God raise you up and break the curse? To every generation, there's a Gideon. To every house, there's a Gideon. To every marriage, there is a Gideon. To every company, there is a Gideon. And God is waiting for somebody to leave the wine press and the wheat and go out and stand and see God do something amazing. Would you bow your heads with me today? I said something earlier in the message I want to repoint out as we pray together. All of this began because Abraham chose his own personal comfort over the call of God in his life. And I want you to hear this today. God has something amazing for your life. He doesn't want to harm you. I love that song we sang earlier. The reason we can be brave is because God is for us. He's not against us. But God wants bigger things for our lives. And he's waiting for us to step up, break the curse, pass through it, move apart from brokenness, and move into boldness. But like I said, he's waiting for you to decide. I want to ask you today, where are you in that? You say, Sean, I'm doing great, man. I've got victory in my life. I'm just, God's doing amazing things. I'm not worried about nothing. I'm fully trusting in God. Well, thank you for being the 1% that's here today. But probably 90 plus percent of you here today, you're wrestling with this. And here's why. You're listening to what other people say and you're not listening to God. You're listening to the voices of your past and you're afraid of your future. And God has greater things for you. God wants to break anything that comes against you that keeps you becoming like Jesus. Some of you came into this room and the curse and the oppression you feel is the fact that you've never truly stepped into a relationship with God. I mean, you know about God. You, you know the thoughts about him. People have talked about him. You know some of the stories, but you've never truly had a personal relationship with him. Can I invite you today that if you're here and you've never began a relationship with God, that today you call on the name of Jesus and you invite him into your life to be Lord and Savior and boss and owner. And in doing so, what happens is through Christ, you have a relationship with God. The cool thing is, 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and he died on the cross to break the curse of sin. So he's already done the work for you. The Bible says God put on him all of the sin of humanity. And when he died, he paid for it all. And so all you have to do is be willing to receive what he did for you and I on the cross. If you're here today and you've never made that decision to trust Christ as Savior and Lord, I want to lead you in just a small sinner's prayer right here. You say, why is it called a sinner's prayer? Because if you're a believer, you don't need to pray this. Christ already lives in you. But if you've never met him, today this is for you. 
Just call out to him silently. Just say, dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for bringing me to this place today. And I know that Jesus died for me on the cross. And today, Lord, I turn from my sin. I place all my faith in you. And I trust you as Lord and Savior of my life. Jesus, this moment, I am placing all my faith and all my trust in you. Come into my life and save me. I want to tell you that if you just pray that prayer with me, the most miraculous thing just happened. The Bible says that you became a new creation in Christ Jesus right now. That means you have a whole new life to live, full of hope, full of purpose. It's not about religion. It's about that relationship. And I want to tell you that we're excited for you. But I want to speak to the second crowd real quick. And it's the crowd in here that you know Christ. You know him as Lord and Savior. But you need to have a Midianite moment in your life. Because I do. There's times I just got to get on my knees and say, everything that's coming against me, am I willing to allow these things to stop me from pushing forward and experiencing the victory that God wants to give me. And if you live under it long enough, you begin to believe it's true. And I want to ask you today, before you leave this room, would you lay that on the altar? I mean, just lay it on the altar. Say, God, I'm tearing down the high places that speak against everything you want from my life, and I'm laying it on the altar, and I'm surrendering it to you, and I'm going to believe what your report is about me, not what my past report is, not what my friend's report is. I'm laying it on the altar, and I'm walking away. Mm. You know what will happen if you do that? God will bring victory in your life. Everything that was once against you, God will break through. Father in heaven, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, today I thank you that Midian, although it's a place we would never want to find ourselves, Lord, it is a place we find ourselves. There are times, there are moments in our lives when we feel like we cannot find, we cannot break through. But Lord, the truth is what you say about us, not what our circumstance says about us. And I pray that we would begin walking in that truth today. God, I thank you for the freedom that comes through knowing Christ, that he paid for the penalty of our sins so that we could walk in victory. And Lord, I pray for breakthrough in people's lives today. In Jesus' name.